that time, the sports talker. Here's TJ Walker. Hello, everybody. Happy Wednesday to you. Hump day here on 1450 The Sports Buzz. Hope you're staying warm with this awful, disgusting weather. Can't wait for all this to pass, but again, it looks like it's going to be a while. Kentucky, 26-0, the best start in school history. Beat Tennessee last night. I smartly took Tennessee off the list of teams that could possibly beat Kentucky as we've been monitoring all season long. Uh, It was just Tennessee and Georgia, the the two schools that I thought Kentucky could possibly lose uh, lose to up at up to this point yesterday uh georgia had a loss to south carolina last night where they found themselves down in a big hole down i think maybe even 20 or more points early in the first half they were able to fight back get that game within two still lost so georgia's last two losses both at home came to auburn and south carolina Uh, I'm getting close to taking Georgia off the list, which would then make, uh, in my opinion, Kentucky, without a doubt, would go undefeated in the regular season. And again, I don't don't think they are going to lose in the SEC tournament, Uh, but it's looking good for Kentucky. And we're going to talk a lot about that Tennessee game, what went right. There were some moments where things didn't look great. I don't know if the game was ever, ever in jeopardy. I would say that it wasn't. But there were some times that it was sloppy. It was ugly. The officials didn't have their best night. We'll talk about all that. Louisville with a big game tonight against Syracuse, and they'll be doing it without Chris Jones, who is suspended for violation of team rules. Uh, we're not exactly sure what he did to to garner that suspension, but we'll talk uh, about the cards and, and what that means going forward for them. There's a nice article on Grantland about Kyle Wilcher. We'll talk about that. And there's and it's Ask Yates Wednesday. So obviously we'll have to do that in the final segment. Yates, how are you doing today? Uh, trying to keep warm. Trying to keep warm. Are the uh, were the roads bad on your way to the studio today with getting a few more inches of snow? Um, not too bad. Uh, I was out earlier today and there were some places that were a little rougher than they were yesterday, but once it came time to come in, I guess with the sun being out, it, it had done a pretty good job of melting the snow. My neighborhood's still pretty bad, but for the most part, my trip over here was uneventful. Well, good. I'm glad you could make it there safely. Uh, I've got the looking out the windows here at the at the studio in Louisville, and just keep seeing these wind gusts that blow all this snow in the air makes it look like some sort of blizzard going on outside and <clears throat> it's cold it's it's not it's not a pretty day uh, but it should be a fun show and as always i want you to tweet in let me know what you think what's going on captain arctic tweets in uh, the first tweet of the day just letting me know that it's 81 degrees in arizona I, I'm you're I might have to ban his tweets if he continues to rub it in how great the weather is out there uh, just just unnecessary uh, but Kentucky beats Tennessee and that's where that's where we'll start with the show today uh, moved to 26 and0 on the season the best start ever in Kentucky basketball history 
crazy to think in Kentucky's long, long history of playing basketball at an elite level that we just witnessed in 2015 the best start ever from a Kentucky team. And first, I, I kind of want to talk about that, just how big of a deal that is. In my lifetime, I'm fairly confident that we're not gonna, I'm not going to see something like this again. I don't think I'm going to see Kentucky ever start a season 26-0. and 0. It, it, It's hard because, one, Kentucky will – and, again, I don't know how this will be after Calipari. I don't know how it will be after the guy after that. I don't know how it will be in 20 or 30 years. But Kentucky generally plays a, a tough out-of-conference schedule. They're always going to play Louisville, at least. They're going to play UNC. They're always going to play big powers. They're always going to play a tough out-of-conference schedule. And at the beginning of the year, regardless if Kentucky's a team full of freshmen or if they're an experienced team, that's, that's time that even the best teams in the country can lose games. You're not, you're not really together as a team. So the, the fact that Kentucky was able to get by this out-of-conference schedule it, without a loss is, is unbelievable. And then once you get in conference schedule, I've made a big deal of this, and and everybody already knows, but Kentucky going on the road in the SEC, regardless of how bad the SEC may be, how good it can be, it's a big game for those programs. This isn't Conference USA. This isn't the Sun Belt. This is programs that will get 70 to 80 to 90,000 people on Saturdays for football. They're fan bases that are, are huge. And even if they care, don't care, semi-care about basketball, there's going it's just logistics that odds will be that there's going to be enough people to pack their small arenas and get crazy for one game. So I don't again, it's tough. Basketball isn't like football. You don't have a week to prepare for somebody and you don't play only 12 games. It's hard to be able to win on the road even in a bad conference because these are are big-time athletic programs. And Kentucky's been able to do that up to this point. Every place they've been has, has been a packed arena for the most part. It's tough to be able to do. And, it, it's, and I'm not saying that Kentucky's going to go undefeated the rest of the regular season. I think they will. I'm not saying that they're going to win the SEC tournament without a doubt. They, I, again, I think they will, but they might not. And I'm not saying that they're going to go on and win the NCAA tournament and finish the season 40-0. That's going to be incredibly difficult. But for a moment, Kentucky fans should take a step back and realize what, ha- what just happened last night, what Kentucky was able to do, what John Calipari has, has, was able to accomplish, and where this team stands February 18th, a month away from the NCAA tournament starting. It's unbelievable, and it's never happened again in Kentucky basketball, and I, I, I don't think we'll ever see it. So uh, the, the win itself, we're going to talk about that. It wasn't the prettiest game Kentucky's played all season, uh, but it was history right in front of us with how it all played out. Whether this team goes on to win a national title, and I understand that that's what they're going to be judged on. That's what they're going to be graded on. Kentucky fans, I don't think they would really care if they lost a game in the regular season or the SEC tournament. It would be disappointing. They would 
you know, you feel it would be a missed opportunity for this Kentucky team. But as long as Kentucky were to win the national title, fans wouldn't mind. But if Kentucky was 39-0 and and playing in the national title, playing in the national championship game, UK fans would care. If they lost that big game, it, it, the season, unfortunately, whether it's right or wrong, wouldn't have been... I don't want to say it wouldn't be a successful season, but it wouldn't be a, a season that... Kentucky fans were hoping for. I can, I can say that. UK basketball is at a point right now where you win a national championship or there's going to be, there's going to be an or. There's going to be something that's, that is missing from the season. But all that yet to be determined. We'll find that out over the next month and a half, whether Kentucky's able to do that. But it does seem that they're they're going to be able to finish the regular season undefeated if they're able to get by a, a tough, well-coached Georgia team in in Athens and also a very talented athletic Arkansas team. But that game will be at Rupp Arena. We'll talk about those games as they go on. So Kentucky goes down to Knoxville, wins that game. Really ugly to start. Uh, two to one with about 16 minutes left in the first half. So the first four minutes, not a lot of scoring, a lot of turnovers, some bad calls by the officials. Carl Anthony Towns picks up two fouls right off the get-go. Just wasn't a very entertaining game to watch. And that, and that kind of stayed throughout for the majority of the game. There was some spurts of offense, uh, but they almost seemed to be few and far between. But there were some bright spots for Kentucky in that game, and one of them, one of the the not-so-bright spots, and this is the one that really jumps out to me, is Takari Johnson having a bad game. I wrote about him after the, the South Carolina game on Saturday, how he broke out of his slump, and it really did seem that he turned a corner. Talking with him to the media, he spoke about how basically John Calipari called him out at practice saying he was being soft, and Takari uh, Johnson really took it to heart. He, he's a physical player. He's a guy that loves contact. He's a guy that loves initiating contact, and he was kind of going away from all that. It seemed with his double-double against South Carolina that he was technically back. Well, certainly, certainly, certainly not the case. He plays 17 minutes, doesn't score, only takes one shot, only able to, to get three rebounds, and, and didn't, play, didn't play a lot. And when he was out there, he didn't play well. Got a few shots blocked. He does, he does get fouled a lot, and for whatever reason, they don't call those fouls. But you, you, you do need to see Dakari Johnson put together a few good games. You, you do. It, doesn't, it didn't necessarily have to be against Tennessee, but he did have a good game against South Carolina. So that would have been a chance for him to get a little momentum going. He's, he's got to get going for Kentucky. Uh, I guess technically he doesn't have to, but it gives Kentucky just – such a advantage in the front court where you can have two or three good players on any given night. So that was disappointing to see, but there was a, a lot of good stuff. And another one of the good things that I saw is Kentucky did not shoot the ball well. Didn't shoot the ball well at all. 5 of 22 from deep, and a lot of those were open looks and they just weren't hitting. Devin Booker, 2 of 9 from 3. Aaron Harrison, 0 of 5. He's been in a little bit of a, a, a shooting slump. Nobody in Kentucky particularly shot the ball well, still able to get a 18-point win on the road. 
and I don't want to sit here and read off box score numbers. Anybody can do that. But I, I, the good news is I, I watching at least just for my opinion, I don't see anything from UK shooters from Devin Booker, from Aaron Harrison that look to be an issue. I, I think they're just missing shots. They don't look to be uncomfortable. They don't look to be uh, not having fun. Doesn't look like there's any larger looming issues there. They're they're just not hitting, and that's going to change. And as long as Kentucky can find ways to win games with that happening, then who cares? It's not that big of a deal. It'll work itself out in time. Willie Colley Stein, good for Kentucky last night. Trey Lyles brought a little something different. And even though Devin Booker had an off-shooting night, as John Calipari mentioned after the game, he was able to get things going other ways. Seven rebounds, four offensive. And speaking of rebounds, that's the thing that everybody wants to, to bring up is how bad Kentucky rebounded. First off, here's, here's the deal. This is why they're giving up offensive rebounds, and, and Tennessee was able to get 19 offensive rebounds last night. More offensive rebounds than defensive rebounds, which is rare for a team to be able to do. The reason that they were able to do that, and, the, and this has happened several times for Kentucky, is UK is just putting too much of an emphasis on shot blocking. And I, I, I don't want to sound like a grumpy old man sitting on his porch just bickering about everything. If You're not going to tell Willie Cauley-Stein not to challenge a shot. You're not going to tell Carl Anthony Towns not to challenge a shot. That's fine. But it's when you have the help coming over, when you have defensive help coming over, and also trying to block a shot. There's no reason why Trey Lyles needs to come from the backside block and try to help block a shot with Willie Cauley-Stein. Willie Cauley-Stein's a seven-footer and probably the best shot blocker in the country. He doesn't need help. Marcus Lee doesn't need help. Marcus Lee doesn't need to be helping another shot blocker. It's when you have that secondary defender come over and either try to guard or try to block a shot where you've got a, a, a very talented UK defender already on the job. It's like a cop calling backup enforcements for a simple speeding ticket. He can take care of it. There's no need to, to get additional help. And when that guy slides over and either tries to block a shot or even just tries to defend, then that's going to leave a, a big chunk of the court open. Tennessee guy last night would just slip in, get the rebound, allow them to get a handful of second chance points. I really do think it's that simple. And, you know, John Calipari's smart. He doesn't need me coaching for him. He knows how to figure this stuff out. Right now, it just hasn't been as big an issue where UK's lost a game where maybe it needs to be pounded into their heads to, to let their guys defend. The only people that really need help defending on this Kentucky team, I, I feel, are probably the Harrison Twins, and they've actually done a better job this year. They, nobody's really talked about how bad they've been defensively, and that's because they haven't been that bad. I mean, they still get beat off the dribble on the perimeter for time after time. But they're the only people that I, that I think on this team could consistently or at times need help. But there's no reason for two big guys to go up on a, uh, to block a shot together. It, and there's just no reason. Captain Arctic tweets in and says that shot selection was a bit questionable. Agree, defense rebound was terrible. That's what I just touched on. 
I didn't have a problem with the shot selection for the most part, at least from the perimeter. A lot of people were, were tweeting out that Kentucky needed to stop shooting threes. Of the 22 threes that they took last night, I would say at least 18 of them were open or semi-open. Having a few seconds before the closeout got there, I didn't have a problem with the outside shots. Now, if you wanted to question some of the the shots in the interior, uh, I think there was a few shots with maybe it was Aaron Harrison would pull up from about 19 or 20 feet, you know, right in front of the three-point line. That, that's not a great shot either. Devin Booker did that a little bit. Also, Devin Booker, with getting some of those offensive rebounds, he, he tried to go straight up with them. Probably not the smartest thing for, for a guard to do. You can get away with that in high school. You can't necessarily get away with that in, in college basketball. So maybe some of the interior shot selection was questionable. I mean, Kentucky only finished with 66%. But most of the threes, in my opinion, were open. And I, I was doing some work today. I had the game on. Uh, it was on the SEC Network today. and watched a little bit of it. And it, it, it seemed to be fine. No major issues. Just an off night. But again, you have to remember that an off night for Kentucky can still result in an 18-point win on the road in a place where Kentucky traditionally hasn't been dominant. Not dominant like they've been other places, at least. So uh, a, a big win for Kentucky. I think a win where people aren't going to really remember that game. Nothing really stood out. Ugly game, ugly calls. Talk about the officiating a little bit. I don't. Generally, it's not very good teams that complain about the officials. Those are the the people that you hear complaining, and it's usually because you lost. Uh, I didn't think the officiating at LSU was great. Some questionable calls, and the same could be said at Tennessee. It's just really, really head-scratching, and and it it makes you wonder how how refs, normal people like you, me, Yates, I would say Trevor, I don't know if Trevor's necessarily a normal person, how they can be so influenced by a home crowd. And again, it happens at Rupp Arena, it happens at the KFC Yum Center, I've talked about this before. But how could you possibly be so influenced to, to just to make bad calls? And I'd love to be able to, to speak with the official, and, and, and there is a family friend of ours that has actually called uh, that that calls that officiates in major conferences, but uh, we've we've never got to discuss this. Well, I, I wonder if they look back at the tape and, and realize, oh, I messed up. But bad calls are going to happen. It, it, it's a part of basketball. Teams need to be able to play through it. There will be foul calls that refs think they saw something. They're at the a wrong angle, and it looked like a guy's arm was hit. That is happen. That happens. That's part of the. That's part of it. What can happen though is Devin Booker being called for that out of bounds. And there's pictures on Twitter. I tweeted it out last night. You can go to my Twitter at T Walker Rivals and look at it. He was a foot in a foot away from the out of bounds line, and they called him out of bounds. How do you how do you see something that that without a doubt didn't happen? But then later in the game, a Tennessee guy standing out of bounds with the ball in his hands. And they don't call him out of bounds, which, again, that, that's, 
that's bang, bang. You can't look down at it if he has the ball in his hands and his foot at the same time. You should be able to get that call right, but you missed it. That's not the end of the world. But to call somebody out of bounds that isn't out of bounds, that's a mistake that you can't make if you're an official. And it's just it's road officiating. Everybody wants to talk about the changes in college basketball, whether they need a 30-second shot clock. The, the Pac-12 commissioners want freshmen to be ineligible, just the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Why don't we, why don't we to clean up college basketball, make sure the officials are qualified and all, of, all the officials, you've got the best officials that you can possibly get. You train them more. You, you, you pony up money to maybe get some better ones. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know what the answer is there, but when everybody wants to talk about fixing college basketball and point out everything that's wrong with it, I'd say officials are probably the worst thing about it. Eh, but so far for Kentucky this year, it hasn't mattered. We're going to head to a commercial break. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk about a variety of things. Uh, there's plenty, plenty to talk about. A good Kyle Wilcher article on Grantland, but and if you had a chance to read it, one thing jumped out at me. And it wasn't necessarily about Kyle Wilcher. Uh, maybe, a, maybe a bit of a negative thing. So stick around here on 1450 The Sports Buzz. We'll be right back. To the Sports Talker with T.J. Walker. We're back here for 1550, the Sports Buzz. Second segment, first segment, we broke down Kentucky's win at Tennessee. Captain Arctic says it's funny how we're breaking down that win. I need a big game on the schedule. That's true. It, it's just it's kind of this little stretch of games where Kentucky should win. But there is value in, in going on the road and, and facing inferior opponents. There is. Things don't always go your way. But anyways, today is Ash Wednesday, which begins Lent. Me being a Catholic, not going to obviously talk a lot about religion, but uh, it's the day that you, you, you give up something for 40 days a night. 40 days and 40 nights, I guess maybe. I don't know if it's, yeah, up until Easter Sunday. I don't go to church every Sunday. Um, I, I I I go on Easter. I go on Christmas, and I usually go on Ash Wednesday. Uh, but I do participate in Lent. No meat on Wednesdays or Fridays, or, or Ash Wednesday or any Friday after that. And I'll 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 follow that. In the past, I've given up fried food, soft drinks, which I haven't had a soft drink since New Year, so I'm not giving up that this year. Yates, I'm going to try to give up the big one, and that's beer. That's going to be tough. Not that I drink a beer every day or anything like that, but I do like to have an occasional few beers on the weekend, whether it's Friday or Saturday. And remember, I'm still 23, and in my demographic, that's all 
that my friends really drink. I'm not giving up alcohol completely because I'm still going to have a few glasses of wine here and there. But going to give up beer just because I think it, it would be pretty challenging. I might give myself one pass on, on St. Patrick's Day. Just one. But we'll, we'll see how all that goes. I'm curious if any other, if anybody else out there has given up anything and, and, and what that could be. Some texts and tweets into the show. Clayby116 said that he saw the same problem with the rebounding, with the block shots. He said his only other gripe is that the Harrison's defense, which we spoke about today, he doesn't know why they even try to play tight man defense at half court because they get beat every time. And, and I've seen that too, and I've heard other people say that same thing, and, and I think it's silly because I think you're just wasting their energy. But the reason they do that is to try to try to speed up the other team, to not let them get comfortable in a half-court set, chew up a bunch of clock, and try to play a game where it could be in the low to mid-50s where they might have a last-second shot to win. So by playing that up, it, they almost want the Harrisons to get beat. And you, there's always a chance you, you cause a five seconds or you cause a turnover, although that's unlikely. You try to speed them up, force them into the paint, maybe throw something in the perimeter and get their offense going. That's why a lot of times they play. They play 50 feet from the basket. But it, it, it's not its not the most efficient thing, and, and I, I do think it, it tires out defenders. Clevy says, you're the Jay Billis when it comes to complaining about officiating. You're griping, you're going on rants, and you're not having solutions. My solution is that they need to they need to address it. it is uh, that that's the only solution. They need to get better officials or pay more money to get better officials or train uh, really I don't think you can train these officials to be better. I don't think that really works. I, I don't think they can go to a certain class. And and, uh, and I have I've I've been I've given several solutions that officials need to be held accountable. If you make several bad calls in a game, they need to be suspended. They need to not be allowed to officiate. They need to, or, or don't pay him as much. Those are a few suggestions. If you, if when they go back to review your tape on how you officiate, if you get a certain grade, let's say you get graded an A, then you get however much, however much money they make a game. Maybe a little bit more. If you grade a, get graded a B, then you get you get the money that you were supposed to make. Anything less than the B, then they're going to cut it out of your paycheck because you didn't do your job fully. Those are a few solutions. Give me a break. Oh, and, a, and another fun fact. During that first segment, I was eating, right before the show, I was eating an orange, and Abe was not in his cage, the dog that uh, my my little Vishla puppy, he was running around doing his own thing, being relatively good, not making any noise, and that's the only thing I care about. But I had kind of, when the show started, I had forgotten that I had the orange in my hand. And all during that first segment, he was trying to get that orange out of my hand. It's kind of like a horse with a carrot where he just puts your teeth, he puts his teeth, doesn't really chomp down on you or bite you, but does whatever he can to, to get the food. So I was dealing with that during the first segment. It's always something. 
going on in the ra- going on on the radio. Switching gears here, Grantland had a nice article on Kyle Wilcher, the former Kentucky player, now at Gonzaga. Spent time at Kentucky, obviously, freshman year, uh, sophomore year, was on the national championship team his freshman year in a limited role. Had a much bigger role his sophomore year on the team that went to the NIT. Did not go well. Didn't go well at all. But... Transferred to Gonzaga, sat out a year, redshirted, got his body right, and is now on a, a Gonzaga team that is 26-1. and one. He's averaging 16 points a game. Granlin does a, a story on him, basically just about his journey, why he transferred, his time at Kentucky. And the thing I like about Kyle Wilcher, and, and this isn't really a surprise for anybody that's covered him, is he's a he's a great great person, seemingly a great person. Family seems like great people. They have never said a bad word about Kentucky. They haven't complained about John Calipari recruiting over him in a sense. And they're completely complimentary of of their time in Lexington, his time in Lexington. And genuinely, it seems like they they feel bad that they left had to leave because it just it wasn't wasn't the right fit for them. You talk about how he talks about how he wins a national championship. He got to do everything that he wanted to do when he when he committed to Kentucky, play with great players, play with future NBA guys. The Grantland story is a good article, uh, a, a nice a nice update on him and it seemed like back when I when I lived I was lived in Lexington because I was a student for the 2012 national title team, the 2013 NIT team, I I covered those teams. I went to every practice that we were allowed to go to and every media opportunity more than I do now, now that I'm living in Louisville as the basketball recruiting analyst. And it seems that every time I, I, I got to interview Kyle Wilcher, who wasn't the best quote, <laughs> not because he was stupid or a jerk to the media. It's just he, you know, he, he never really had too much to say. So I always got stuck interviewing him. If they put three people out there, I was always the one that had to go interview and write about Kyle Wilcher. But I, I am glad to see he's doing well. And I'm glad to see that his production has picked up a bit. But this Grantland article, it, it's a, a feel-good piece for... It's a feel-good piece for... Kyle Wilcher, there's some closure for Kentucky fans. It, it's it's a nice. It's you should read it if you get the chance. But I'm curious if people have read it, if they agree with me here that that whole article did not do Kentucky recruiting any favor if they go after somebody who could be a guy that's going to be around for a few years. There's a, and I don't have the exact quote right in front of me, but they. They talked to Kyle Wilcher's dad, who I've spoken with before. And he says that Kentucky, John Calipari does a great job, blah, 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 blah. But most of the players they get, they would be going to the NBA if they were allowed to. They go to Kentucky, they, they progress, they get better, but then they go to the NBA because they were going to do that anyways. 
and he hints that it's maybe not the best place if you need to be there for more than two years. If you need to be there for three or four years, it might not be the best place. And is there some truth to that? Maybe, but I don't. I, I don't think that the, I don't think it's a hundred percent true. I think you can go to Kentucky and progress and develop in a few years and be fine. They're going to continue to recruit the best of the best. But if you're still progressing, you're still developing, and you're still competing, and you're still playing hard in practices, John Calipari is going to give you a chance to play if you're good enough. So if you're a three- or four-year player and you're not good enough to play, then you're not good enough to play. But that doesn't have to do with that, – that shouldn't throw off any potential person that's not going to be a one-and-done. To me, it was almost Kyle Wilcher's dad in a sense saying Kyle Wilcher wasn't good enough. He could have developed fine at Kentucky. Would that mean he'd play a lick on this team? No. No. I mean, yeah, he'd play a little bit, but not a lot. Who's he playing over? I don't know who Kyle Wilcher would be playing over on this team. Certainly not Willie Cauley-Stein. Certainly not Carl Towns. Maybe him and Dakari split some minutes. Maybe Trey, he, he gets some of Trey's minutes. He wouldn't be playing a lot. And as we've seen, Willie Cauley-Stein's been here for a third year. He hasn't progressed. He hasn't played well. Alex Poitras is the same case, and I think Alex Poitras maybe is the, the best case. Because he was he was probably going to get around 18 to 22 minutes a, a, a game this year had he been healthy. His numbers wouldn't have been great. Probably would have averaged a little maybe over six points per game, a few rebounds per game. But there's no doubt anybody that's followed Alex Poitras wouldn't be able to tell that he's drastically better than the freshman that went to the NIT. And had he been healthy this year, assuming that he had put up those numbers and had the, had the year that I think he would have, he would definitely have a chance to make the NBA. Without a doubt. So I, don't, I, I feel the Grantland article is almost advising players that might not be one-and-dones to look elsewhere because Kentucky's just focused on those players, and it's just it's stupid. It's not true. Darius Miller was with John Calipari for... Three years. Got better every single year. Started for John Calipari every year until his senior year. His last year. And without a doubt, that was his best year. You don't have to be a one-and-done to play. You don't have to be a one-and-done to develop. You don't have to be a one-and-done to get better. All those things still happen at Kentucky. And Captain Arctic, just getting to his tweets, mentioned Darius Miller and Willie Cauley-Stein. Brun DMC says that Kyle Wilcher is... Carl Gallagher from Shameless. <laughs> and he has a, a nice little picture of the two of them side by side. I, I can definitely see that. But the art article talks about how Kyle Wilcher needed to go somewhere else because he needed a year off to get his body better. Well, he could also redshirt it at Kentucky. Could have redshirted after his sophomore year. Not been a part of that runner-up team last year and been playing this year. Would he have gotten his body stronger? Yeah, sure. But 
he still wouldn't be playing. I mean, it's obviously clear he left because he wanted more playing time and a different opportunity. And good, and good for him. It's worked out. It's worked out for him, and it's not like Kentucky's hurting. But you should read the article anyways and hope Kyle Wilcher the best. That, that, that kind of brings me to another point. I, I wanted to spend more of that time talking about you know Kyle Wilcher and the good things he did for Kentucky and this and that and bring up the fact that I don't think it's right to, to consider Kentucky a place where only one-and-dones can, can have success. And it, it kind of went on to maybe not so negative or maybe not so positive stuff. Uh, and I'm going to continue that, that road. Gonzaga 26 and 1, Kyle Wilcher, their leading scorer, probably one of their better players. Let me say this. If assuming that Duke or Virginia continue to have success, Kentucky obviously continues to, to, to be a the powerhouse that they are. And you know, even if Arizona were to to win out and and Wisconsin which the Big Ten's not very good so I think Wisconsin is going to be able to win out all those teams Arizona Wisconsin Duke and Virginia assuming they don't have some crazy slip-ups here and there if they win the games that they should win which for both those teams probably should be all their games with maybe an exception of an Arizona game at Utah all those teams are more deserving than a one seed than Gonzaga even if Gonzaga wins out and, and goes the rest of the season undefeated, which I guess would put them at 33-1 and one going into the tournament. Even if they're 33-1, and one, they shouldn't get a one seed over those other teams. Gonzaga's best win on the year, UCLA, maybe, Georgia, possibly, St. John's, SMU. Are any of those teams for sure fire NCAA tournament teams? SMU probably, but SMU's not great. The one great team they played, they lost in overtime to Arizona on the road, a game that they probably should have won, and had they won that game, then nobody would be discussing whether or not they should be a one seed. I think they're the most overrated team in college basketball, and I think, I think there's a chance they don't make it out of the first weekend. I really believe that. And everybody brings up how Gonzaga is the team that can beat Kentucky. They're the, they're the type of team, a good offensive team, a good shooting team. Well, you can be a good offensive team against terrible teams. That's easy. They don't deserve a one seed. They're probably going to get one, but they don't deserve one. We're going to have a commercial break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about Louisville, Chris Jones, Syracuse, what's going on there. And it's Ask Yates Wednesday, so that should be a good time. Stick around here on Listening to the Sports Talker with TJ Walker on 1450 The Sports Buzz. 
We're back. 1450 of Sports Buzz. A lot to fit in this this final segment as Louisville takes on Syracuse. Uh, that's the big story. There is Chris Jones suspended. Maybe more than just the Syracuse game. This could be a lasting, longer than just one game suspension. Yates, have you heard any rumors about what he possibly could have done? Um, no, I haven't heard anything specific. Based on what I've heard, it's maybe just sort of a, a, I guess a a summation of of a bunch of smaller things. It's all just built up, and 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 Rick Pitino's sick of it. More or less, yeah. Interesting. I, it. it it's been an interesting relationship between Chris Jones and Rick Pitino since he's been at Louisville. It hasn't been one that has gone as well, I'm sure, as Rick Pitino hoped it would, or that hoped it would. He, uh, I really feel that Chris Jones did not make Louisville's team last year better. I think it hurt Louisville from being a a, a team that, eh, you know, if they end up being Kentucky, maybe they go to the title game anyways. But and I think they would have been a better team had he not. Uh, played 26, 25 minutes per game. This year, though, I do think he's a valuable part of this team. He had, he, a, after the Kentucky game and after having to sit the bench the following game, I thought he had been really good for the most part. He had had some off games here and there, but uh, he seemed more focused in. And, and it, it might just come down to winning cures everything for him or maybe for Louisville and Rick Pitino. And then, of course, Louisville loses to NC State. That's a game he plays 39 minutes in, nearly the entire game. Plays okay. But they lose. Maybe he got heated, said some things he shouldn't have. Maybe he did something stupid. Or maybe, well, since Louisville wasn't winning anymore, Pitino wasn't as lenient into into what he had to say. Again, winning cures everything, and maybe in this situation, with the loss, it all just built up and, and something had to be done, and with that, a, a suspension. I, I think it came at a really bad time. I don't think Louisville's going to beat Syracuse tonight. Do I think they would have with Chris Jones? I think they'd have a much better chance, probably. And th- this is going to be interesting for Louisville. If this is Rick Patino playing mind games... We're trying to motivate his team in a weird way, and even trying to possibly motivate Chris Jones. This is going to be an interesting path to do that. Now you're going to go into a carrier dome, play a team that doesn't have much to play for except winning this game. You lose this, and you've lost two straight. You probably get a win against Miami. But then the rest of the schedule, even though you're not playing great teams two out of the four games... It's tough. Going on the road is tough. Louisville's done a good job of, for the most part, this season. But there's no easy nights. So I, I'm curious to see the the lasting impact of this suspension. And if, again, Patino's been doing this long enough. He, 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 knows, he knows what buttons he's pushing. Sometimes it doesn't work. It'll be fun in, in April or May to look back and and I and I think one way or the other pinpoint the suspension to either help motivate Louisville. Louisville comes together as a team. Chris Jones grows up. Blah blah blah, makes the team better. 
or a string of losses start to follow. Chris Jones doesn't buy into the tough love act. He never is the same player. He can never get back to that nice run of games where he was consistent. And this very up and down, interesting season for Louisville that is probably uglier than their record shows ends earlier than it probably should. But I I do think that this week, I think the NC State game, I think this suspension, I think the Syracuse game, those are going to be the three major events of where we see this season go for Louisville. Anyways, let's let's not waste any more time. Let's give the people what they want. Let's go into Ask Yates Wednesdays. Yates hit it. Yates. It's hit now it. time for the word of the day. Gentlemen, let's broaden our mind. Teach me something new, man. I, I need to learn. With David Yates. My mind is a raging torrent. Flooded with rivulets of thought cascading into a waterfall of creative alternatives. I suppose it's only fitting that I always forget to have that ready. Yeah, that's just the way that it works. All right, so let's let's see. I guess let's let's go to Rob Blackhawk. He wants to know if you've watched the Kingsman movie. I have not. It does. I. It's it's intriguing. I'm, I would like to see it, but I haven't seen it yet. I've not seen it. He says he loved it. All right, right off the bat with that one. Captain Arctic asks, in the spirit of Westminster, does Yates have any any pets? Uh, yes, I have two pets, two dogs. Uh, I have a we have a miniature Schnauzer who's eight, I believe, Ginger, and we have a one year old Golden Doodle named Pepper. <laughs> Pepper, that's yes. exciting. Are they are they good dogs? Uh, yeah, for the most part. Pepper being one is uh, still a little mischievous, but for the most part, they're pretty good. All right, good stuff. Uh, he wants to know what are your top three bars in Louisville. Yeah, man, that's a tough one. Um, gosh, I don't even I don't even know that I have, really have a top three bars. That we don't go bar hopping a lot. Um, most of the time these days, if we're going to go out, we go out for dinner. Um, so, I don't know. I'll I'll throw out the, the Bardstown Road bars, I guess. Because I don't, like I said, I, I don't really go out to that many. Um, the downtown O'Shea's is pretty nice. I always enjoy when we go there. So, I'll, I'll put that one number one. And then, I don't know, original O'Shea's number two. And... I don't know that I have. I don't know that I have a number three. Interesting. I, if I had to pick my two, I, I would probably say Gerstles in St. Matthews and, and Diamonds in St. Matthews. Uh, the other Diamonds that we we did a on spot location at that was a good time as well. Um, I don't really like bars that are super crowded. I like bars that I can have space, maybe play pool, drink, and and do you know be able to get a drink and not have to wait an hour. Uh, I'm the same way. I I would just as soon not go to a bar that's super, super crowded. And I, I forgot about Gerstles. I, I like Gerstles a lot, so I'll, I'll throw that one in there too. I'm a fan of Gerstles. Uh, Trevor wants to know, why do you never have the open ready? <laughs> because, because honestly, I, I forget about it. That's it's pretty much just as simple as that. 
Clady116 wants to know, name something that can be covered, and it starts with S-H and ends with a T. <laughs> it's a shirt, you goofball. <laughs> oh, man. Always a great time on Ask Yates Wednesday. All right, and, and uh, I, I've seen SEC Network, be they've touched on this a little bit. They're doing the top mascots in the SEC. Yates, first off, are you a fan of live mascots, having an animal on the field? Um, I mean, I, I guess I'm okay with it. I don't. I've I've never really given it a whole lot of thought. Like, as long as the animal's not being mistreated, I don't have a problem with it. Okay, if you could pick one school to have a live mascot, and it doesn't have to be realistic, which one would you like to see on the sidelines? Um, I'll go with Alabama. I'd love to see a, a giant elephant on their sideline. That's the one you'd go with, Alabama? Sure, why not? You wouldn't want to do Duke Blue Devils? Well, I mean, I, get, I, I, I was trying to keep it realistic, something that could realistically be on the sideline. I, I said it didn't have to be realistic, Yates. Well, I guess I zoned out there when I was trying to think. That, I, I don't know then. Um, what about the Sun Devils? Yeah, or maybe uh, St. Louis, the Salukis. Well, they're the St. Louis is the Billikens, the Southern, Billikens. Illinois. What, yeah, Southern Illinois, the Salukis. The the Billikens would be an interesting one because I think that's some sort of mythical creature, huh? Uh, Kentucky used to have a live wildcat on the sidelines, but it said it was too dangerous. Uh, and there's a great picture of Baylor used to have a bear on the sidelines, and I can't remember what year it was. I want to say maybe it was the 1950 Sugar Bowl. Or it was some bowl game. Baylor was playing Tennessee, and for whatever reason, and there's a series of pictures, and it's fantastic. They let the Baylor Bear and Tennessee's little smoky dog meet each other and sniff each other out. And, and it's a series of pictures, one where they're coming close to each other, and they're being held by their trainers and stuff as if holding a bear is just normal. But, you know, back in, back in the good old days, I, I guess you could get away with that. So they're they're checking each other out. The next one, they're a little bit closer. They're sniffing each other. And then the next one, you see the bear have his hand up, ready to pull the fur off Smokey. And then, sure enough, uh, I, I don't think there's any more pictures after that. And, and rumor has it, Smokey, things didn't go well for Smokey. Uh, so uh, I think a, a, you've got Texas have their longhorn. They've got Bevo. Colorado still runs. Uh, you know, a buffalo out onto the field. I, I think if you had San Diego State with the Aztecs, that could be terrifying and very terrifying for the Aztec and however they got him to come back to life. But I'm pretty good, solid Ask Yates Wednesday segment. Miami Hurricanes, Brun DMC brings up, that would be terrifying. Iowa State Cyclones, that, that would just be incredibly dangerous. Nobody would win in that situation. Michigan State Spartans would be cool. I do, you know, to have a devil on the sideline would be interesting. Again, I don't know if I'd be for that. Rob Blackhawk says, I remember the time the Texas Tech horse went crazy, hit a fence, and killed itself during a game. I remember reading about that as well. Would you be in favor, Yates, of, of Louisville having a live 
Cardinal Bird on the sidelines? Sure, why not? Be maybe one of the most uh, uneventful, uninteresting live mascots you could come up with, but sure, I'd be for that. South Carolina has the the Gamecock, the the big rooster chicken. His name's Sir Big Spur. He's on the sidelines. You could do that with a little cardinal bird. Or what if they release like 100 cardinal birds before every football game before the team ran out? Or better yet, at the KFC Yum Center. And you could just have a, I don't know what you call a group of cardinal birds, but you call them a gaggle of geese. So what if you had a gaggle of cardinal birds just hanging around the Yum Center? Uh, they should start. If they do that, they need to make sure they start uh, handing out lids with all the drinks. I agree. Anyways, we're out of time. We went over. Sometimes not enough time. Prediction for Syracuse Yates? Uh, I think Louisville pulls out a close one. Under five I think, points. I think Syracuse, it's just a lot going on with Louisville. I don't know if they can even focus in on basketball. I think Syracuse wins uh, by five to ten points. Addition by subtraction. Possibly. And that if that's the case, and that's something also that we're going to have to talk about and monitor the rest of the season because that could very well be the case. Maybe they're better without them. We'll see. We'll talk about this tomorrow, though. Thanks for listening. 1450 The Sports Buzz. We'll see you tomorrow. To my old Kentucky home. My old Kentucky home. Oh, they say welcome to the 502. Take a Jordan boy, show them how Kentucky do. Oprah Priest Classics, paint Kentucky blue. They say don't forget 27, no be hitting two. Song call it blue, grass, song call it purple. I'ma call it home. Take a shot of Tron. Lay back in the lap.